Welcome to Courageous Medicine for the Climate Health Crisis, the podcast for doctors, nurses, and medical professionals organizing to confront the climate health emergency. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley McClure, a primary care physician, medical community climate organizer, and mom. Join me for these personal conversations with inspirational colleagues and visionary health equity advocates who are taking our oath to do no harm as a call to action to lead our medical community and healthcare institutions in calling for equitable climate action in order to realize the healthier, safer, and fairer world that is possible for all our children. In this new episode, Dr. Ashley McClure had the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Abdul El Sayed, who is a physician, epidemiologist, author, and former health commissioner of the city of Detroit, who advocates for a more just, equitable, and sustainable world. He recounts what led him to withdraw his application to residency and instead pursue the idea that politics is about translating culture. Keep listening to hear why he believes he is an accidental environmentalist and how his upbringing contributed towards his diverse pursuits in politics, public health, and education. The first I heard of your work was through your having spoken at the PSR oil and gas conference several months ago, and everybody who heard you was blown away by how powerful of a speaker you are. And since then, I've done a lot of reading of your incredible work, your books, your podcast. And I'm really excited to have you here, but it'd be great to hear in your own words if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of you to say. My name is Dr. Abdul El Sayed. I am a physician and epidemiologist. I spend most of my days uh, writing and advocating for a more just, equitable, and sustainable world. And my focus is on American health equity, health access, and environmental justice. And I used to be the health commissioner for the city of Detroit. I ran for governor in 2018 in the state of Michigan. And currently, I host a podcast and uh, called America Dissected. I write a newsletter called The Incision. And I've written a couple of books in the last year, uh, one called Healing Politics, A Doctor's Journey into the Heart of Our Political Epidemic, and a second called Medicare for All, A Citizen's Guide with my co-author, Dr. Micah Johnson. Amazing. And we'll include all of those, your incredible work in the show notes. So can we go way back to what led you into medicine? How did this become your profession? I grew up just outside Detroit and I was raised by my father, who's an Egyptian immigrant, and my stepmother, who's a daughter of the American Revolution. My life sort of followed that contraposition of different cultures. I'd often you know, be on a plane to Egypt before school was even out where I would spend time with my grandmother, aunts and uncles, and cousins in uh, Alexandria, a working class part of Alexandria where my father grew up. My grandmother is the smartest, wisest person I've ever met, but she never got to go to school. She just had this incredible wisdom about her. And her life was an exemplar of the differences in access to basic health and health care that people get. She gave birth to eight children, two of whom died before the age of one or a personal infant mortality rate of 25%. And the crazy thing is that I would see the differences in access to a long, healthy life across the 15 hours that I would travel to go to Egypt. And that was about 10 years difference in life expectancy. And I, of course, didn't have the language to be able to articulate that at the time, but you could see it written in the different health outcomes that that people faced uh, across my family and and that community. But the crazy thing is I could go 15 minutes into the city of Detroit and cross the same 10-year life expectancy chasm 
And that to me became a reason for working. Um, I wanted to do something about the differences in the, the access to a long, healthy life that different people have as a function uh, of their life circumstances. And that led me to a career in medicine, but it also led me ultimately out of a career in, in medicine. I don't practice and in large part because I came to appreciate in the context of my training that in so many ways, the healthcare system uh, that we are doomed to practice in, in this country for now is one that often doesn't only fail to correct those differences. It's often a tool through which those differences uh, are multiplied and exacerbated. That is why I've focused mainly on public health and, and health advocacy in my career. The kind of downstream repair shops, as Don Berwick calls them, um, they, don't, they don't remedy the equity issues that people come to us with. What was your transition like from clinical medicine to kind of trying to address the social determinants that, that you couldn't address as a clinical physician? It meant that I just didn't do a residency. I'd gone as far to apply for residency and then pulled my application. And I pulled my application after an experience with a patient who was exactly the kind of patient I wanted to take care of, somebody who didn't get to graduate high school, who had been inebriated, fallen, hit her head in the morning got to our emergency department and the emergency room doctor wanted to deny her a CT despite a welt on her head. It wasn't until we forced an admission to the floor that we came to appreciate that this was someone who was suffering with full-blown AIDS, had this paradoxical hypotension because one of the things that HIV can do is infest the adrenal glands, had diabetes and her sugars were all over the place. I had an actively bleeding pelvic mass, and we didn't really figure all that out until we actually did a proper history and physical. Took care of her for two weeks, organized this really elaborate dispo where we were going to discharge her to the only rehab facility in the entire city of New York that took HIV positive patients, uh, and then had organized her access to HIV housing through the city health department. And in the end, she decided to go home with her daughter. Two weeks later, uh, after having just put in my residency application, I got on a subway and my patient was laying across the subway seats. And when I got home that night, I, I pulled my application for residency. And instead, I became a professor in Columbia's School of Public Health, working on health disparities issues, but really got frustrated with the fact that so much of what we do in the academic world is meant for the consumption of other people who sort of already agree with the premises that we establish in our research. The circumstances of people's lives dictate their outcomes. And it's a principal reason why we have deeply inequitable health outcomes in our country. And so I left and I got the opportunity to come home to the city of Detroit to rebuild Detroit's health department and really enjoyed that job, you know, had the opportunity to really take on some big issues. We guaranteed every child a free pair of glasses, for example. We stood up to some of the biggest corporate polluters in the state of Michigan when they wanted to increase their emissions of, of harmful chemicals. We were able to have every school daycare and Head Start tested for lead after the Flint water crisis. But thinking bigger about Flint and about the, the, the politics that created Flint, about the election of Donald Trump, which, which happened while I was at the city health department, I realized that there was a lot more work to be done and that if we weren't willing to take the values that we think about in public health every day to our politics, then we would always be doomed to try and beat around the bush or pick up the scraps. And so I decided to run for governor of Michigan. I did not win, but a lot of what I came to appreciate is that so much of what we do in our politics is fundamentally about translating culture. And if our culture isn't consistent with the ideals that we want translated, then we're going to continue to get broken outcomes. And so a lot of my work now has been around advocacy and around contributing to making culture 
that drives a narrative that speaks to the systematic brokenness around the ways that race and corporatism dictate who gets and who does not get. And so a lot of my work has been there. And, and that's sort of my, my pathway from clinical medicine to public advocacy. Which is super inspiring. Within that and kind of understanding the systems and the culture at the root of who we are as a society, can you share when the climate crisis first kind of broke through to you as a personal issue and how you integrate that into health and equity? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I was, I'm an accidental environmentalist. <laughs> and when I was in grad school, I was really privileged to be on a scholarship that combined a number of different kinds of, of thinkers who would go on and, and practice in different areas. And my best friend in my scholarship class is an environmental and labor economist. And he used to tell me, you know, Abdul, you really ought to be paying a lot more attention to climate change. And I said, look, you know, that, that's all well and good. But to be fair, there are babies dying all over the world. Tell me why I should care about a bunch of polar bears in the North Pole when there are babies dying. He said they're one in the same issue. And I didn't really understand that until I was working in the health department in Detroit, where our kids were breathing the polluted air coming out of the smokestacks of major corporations who had located in those communities because they knew that those communities were too poor and too preoccupied with making ends meet to do anything about it. Over and over again, they would raise their emissions of dangerous chemicals. Over and over again, they would get their way. And all of that to the detriment of those children. And that's when I became an environmentalist, when I realized that climate change wasn't about polar bears. Climate change is about people and the circumstances in which they live. And I'll be honest with you, that's not just a failure in my understanding. That is a failure for a long time in the climate movement, caring for the people who bear the brunt of uh, climate change. You know, you talk about a lot of the advocacy organizations, climate change is always framed around the environment. And environment's great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love, I love biodiversity. I care a lot about uh, even those polar bears. But I don't care about them as much as I care about the people who are beaten up by the antecedents of climate change every day. I think we often have read in a lot of the privilege that underlies the environmental movement to fail to articulate that, in, that climate change is a deeply human issue. And that it is the humanity underneath the issue that is galvanizing and can bring us all together. And so, you know, I came to appreciate that when I was working in the environmental justice space as a health commissioner. And I think it's really important that we shift our analysis and shift our focus to be highlighting the consequences that those same things that drive climate change do uh, to children all over our country who lack the privilege to be able to breathe clean air and drink clean water every day. So right now in California, we're working on supporting a frontline community-led bill that is aimed at banning fracking and implementing health and safety setbacks so you can't have children's playgrounds beside fracking operations. And I'm curious if you could share any tips or hard-won lessons on how to engage having privilege, being a physician, how to engage in partnership with environmental justice community leaders, because I think it's an art that I'm trying to learn. But can you share in your experience how, how that relationship was built? To our credit, when we approached this as a department, we recognized that there had been some great leadership on the ground far before we ever stepped in. 
And that at best, what we could do is to create a platform that would center and articulate the needs and worries of communities that are frontline every single day and amplify them. And I think sometimes when we, um, when, when folks with privilege step into these spaces, they, they do so with the right goals and ideals. But there is an expectation that these folks had been waiting all along for, for us to get here. That centers us rather than centering folks who are being affected. It's also quite arrogant, right? It, it brings a level of arrogance saying that you all are helpless and the only way that you succeed is with our help. And so yeah. I think there is a way of saying, well, how can we bring the kind of privilege that we bring to bear, but do so in a spirit of humility and in a way that centers those folks and gives them not only agency, but power uh, in these discussions and allows them to guide us with respect to where we place that privilege and how we do that thing. And I, I think that's, that's one of the most important things. The other, the other piece of this is that I think sometimes we forget as doctors, like the single thing that you learn, if, if, you're, if you're open to that kind of learning, that is so profoundly powerful is the capacity to listen to pain. And we don't, we don't sort of think about that as what you, li- what you learn in medical school, right? But it's one of the most powerful <laughs> things that you learn. And it's one of the most important tools that you can bring to any mm-hmm. given circumstance, the ability to listen to pain and to center that pain and to appreciate that pain and to have an honest conversation with that pain. And also the ability to speak truth to pain, right? The ability to say, all right, well, I understand that you're experiencing this pain and as a physician, I'm not. But let me bring to bear what knowledge and expertise I have to empower you through this pain and that together we can do this thing that benefits you. But there's a humility that has to come with that. And I, unfortunately, where you know, doctors go wrong is where they assume they have all the answers because they have all the knowledge. And that's just not the case, right? Every patient is an expert in their own pathology. Every community is an expert in their own pain. And I think we do our best when we bring that tool of being able to center that pain and center that person and bring what tools we can to empower that person to be an agent and to be the, the wielder of power in their own healing and in their own advancement. Somebody recently kind of articulated it well that their mission is to bring the people closest to the problem to write the solutions. And I think that mm-hmm. theme just needs to be, I need reminding every single day. And one of your quotes is that politics is medicine on a grand scale. I'm curious about how do you see like your leadership in universal health care and Medicare for all, how does that intersect with environmental justice and climate and also racial justice? Like if you could, how do you see those all being interrelated? I have to credit Rudolf Vorkow for that first quote. And you know, he was sort of the first physician politician uh, of renown and he was just a, a brilliant human being in every way. I think our job, right, if we're, if we're serious about thinking about the society in which we live, rather than just being blinded to the way that pathology exists above the skin, then we have to be very, very open and honest about all of the things that we see here and engage with. And I think that being able to diagnose racism as a pathology, to, to diagnose corporatism as a pathology, to, to diagnose inequities as a pathology... I think becomes exceedingly important to getting the diagnosis right. And in that respect, the solutions to those things are political. And I don't mean that with a capital P. I don't mean, you know, Democrats versus Republicans political. I mean, the ability to find solutions in our ability to to leverage our platform as physicians 
toward advocating for a society where we do away with these things. My hope is that throughout my career, I can help to leverage whatever platform I have or platform I build to center the people who are affected most by these things and empower them toward the solutions to the outcomes. Well, obviously for me, that's meant running for office. It may mean doing that again, but I don't think that's what, that's, that's the only way to do it. I think all of us are advocates in our own right. We either choose not to raise our voice or to raise our voice or to raise our voice even worse to continue to advocate for the status quo. We are constantly choosing how to engage as advocates. And I think we have a deep responsibility to the privilege we have to be able to advocate on behalf of our patients beyond simply diagnosing their, uh, their pathology uh, and trying to treat it, but to diagnose their society's pathology and trying to treat it. In closing, if somebody came to you and said, okay, so I really understand that the social determinants are something that I have a professional responsibility to engage in as a physician, what do I do? Where would, if they weren't going to run for office, where would you recommend people start? A, how well do you know your local public officials and how often do you advocate uh, to them about the issues that matter for your patients? B, hmm. are you engaged with, with organizing groups, whether it's, you know, Physicians for Human Rights or PNHP or the local Sunrise Movement or whomever else it is mm-hmm. to advocate for broader change? C, are you bringing that advocacy into your workplace with you, whether you are talking to other physicians or talking to other healthcare providers or talking to patients, right, to help them to understand the world in which they live and their own voice in it? All of those things matter. And, you know, you don't have to be an organizer with a capital O, right? All of us, again, are advocates and organizers. It's just what are we organizing for and how loudly are we doing it? I would encourage you to stay engaged with your local politics, to stay engaged with your national politics, and to put time aside into advocating for a world that would be kinder and more empathic to your patients. And if you're doing that, I think you're meeting those responsibilities. And it may be that for you, you say, you know what, I'm going to run for town council, or I'm going to run for Congress, or that's great, but it doesn't have to mean that. But it does have to mean that those opportunities that you can take to be advocating for your patients outside of the clinic, outside the hospital, that you take those opportunities and you take them seriously, just like you take your, your training seriously and your work with your patients seriously. I know you have to run, but could you share what should we be looking out for your horizon in your work in the next few months or year? Well, yeah, no, I hope folks will check out the incision. It's at incision.substack.com. And I write on, you know, all of the broader issues relative to health and, and health outcomes. If you haven't checked out the book, uh, Medicare for All, a Citizen's Guide, I hope that it's something that is empowering. And even as a practitioner in the space, what we really wanted it to be is a tool set, a toolkit for helping people find themselves in the struggle for true universal healthcare in our country. Lastly, I'd say that I try and stay active on social media. So I hope folks will will find me there. Thank you so much for your leadership and, and insight and time. I really, really appreciate it. Ashley, I really appreciate you having me. It was a real privilege. And I hope that we can Stay in close contact in this fight together and uh, really grateful to you for your voice and your platform. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you're feeling inspired to join your medical community colleagues who are organizing to advance health equity in the climate movement. Here are three specific ways to get started. If you live in California, please join us by visiting climatehealthnow.org and introduce yourself and become a member by emailing us at 
fcaclimatehelpnow at gmail.com. If you live outside California, we recommend you find your state clinicians for Climate Action Group by visiting the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health's website at medsocietiesforclimatehealth.org slash about slash affiliates. Lastly, please check out Dr. Abdul El Sayed's books, Healing Politics, A Doctor's Journey into the Heart of Our Political Epidemic, and Medicare for All, A Citizen's Guide, his newsletter, The Incision, and his podcast, America Dissected. As always, all of this information and their links will be posted in the episode description. This is Angela Geronimo. Until next week, stay humble, spread awareness, and share these ongoing conversations with your colleagues. Thank you.